Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 39 of All This and World War II. Uh, This page concludes chapter 16. It begins chapter 17, which is the chapter where our heroes get to go explore Hitler's secret bunker and find some alien technology, fight a bunch of Nazis. But we're not even going to talk about it. I'm not even going to... I have notes about that part of the page. Fuck my notes. I am overwhelmed. I am adrift. I am beset. Fuck these notes. I'm throwing them overboard in these choppy seas because the conclusion of chapter 16 has, I don't know, three things in it that would not only be the dumbest thing on any other page, but dumb things that are deep, fundamental aspects of this system, this adventure, the whole play philosophy embodied in this document, all the way down to specific encounter decisions. I just, I don't even know. This page shook me. Okay, one thing at a time. Let's remember where we are. In chapter 16, our heroes awaken, or remain awake, don't at me. Anyway, they somehow arrive in this scene where... They're in a secret lab, and they're chained to a table, Red Skull is there, and what we have is half of the squad that came to investigate Hitler's secret bunker, the most powerful half. So, like, if you've got a four-person player group, the two most powerful superheroes from their four-superhero team are going to be chained to these tables, and Red Skull attempts to brainwash them with a device called a hypno-wash. Once two superheroes are brainwashed to Red Skull's satisfaction, he arms them with Luger's puts them in a giant death labyrinth, which if I were Hitler, I would be pretty nervous about somebody installing a death labyrinth in my secret bunker for no reason. But anyway, there it is. So we might as well use it. Uh, We we release those brainwashed heroes into the death labyrinth, along with the two non-brainwashed heroes. And we leave the brainwashed heroes with the instructions to kill their non-brainwashed comrades because they are enemies of the Axis. There's a lot of setup that goes into this situation, as we discussed last time. Uh, The designer, and by extension the judge, just kind of asserts that things are happening, or have happened, and this really depends upon the player characters not interrupting or contradicting to get the situation set up just the way that the author envisions it, with half of the heroes chasing the other half of the heroes in this labyrinth while Red Skull and Hitler look on from above in an unbreakable plexiglass dome. Today I'm going to assume it all works. The resolution to this exactingly orchestrated encounter is as follows. And here I quote, beginning on page 38, but running on to page 39. Quote, after the second round of combat, the Red Skull will address all of the heroes over a PA system as the battle rages on. I'm sorry that we cannot stay and watch, but I am afraid that we have more important matters to attend to for now. I will send some men back here in 60 minutes to clean up the corpses. So what are the player characters supposed to do about this? Quote, restoring the brainwashed heroes to normal. In order to survive, the non-brainwashed heroes may find it useful to restore their companions to normal. There are at least three ways that this can occur. First, any mental attack on a brainwashed hero may break the hypnotism. In addition to any other effects the power might have, the brainwashed character gets a feat to throw off the effects at a rank equal to the rank of the attack against incredible resistance. For example, if Psycho Ninja were to hit the brainwashed human torch with an amazing strength psionic attack, the torch would receive a green feat roll at amazing rank to cast off the hypno-wash. Unfortunately, such an attack must first succeed, and all hypno-washed characters are resistant to further mental effects. Minus two column shifts. Of course they are. Of course they are! 
After all, we wouldn't want like a psychic superhero to inappropriately shine in this scene where the weaker heroes have been pitted against the brainwashed stronger heroes in a match to the death where the only chance for survival is for the weaker heroes to use their skills and abilities to break the mental domination of the stronger heroes. Why let the telepath hog that scene when they could instead cower? I like my psychics to cower. But nonetheless, this is an option for shaking people free of the mental domination. If you can manage to affect them with psychic powers despite the penalty, then they can use your power ranking and roll on the table against an incredible intensity to try to break free. Quote, Second, the heroes can attempt to reason with their brainwashed companions as they are being stalked in an effort to help them realize what they are doing. And then there's some example dialogue. Quote, No, Cap, we're your friends. Hitler is your enemy. Of course, as we know from Twitter, this is a misstep in rhetoric. They should have stopped with Cap, we're your friends. If they demand that Captain America unfollow Hitler, he'll simply dismiss them as members of the woke police. You're never going to convince Captain America to punch Hitler by telling him who he can and can't follow. But if you make any kind of plea at all of this nature, then, quote, allow the brainwashed hero a remarkable intensity psyche feat role to shake off the effects of the hypnowash. The other heroes can keep attempting to coax their brainwashed companions until they finally succeed. Give the brainwashed target another psyche feat each round. And then finally, if you knock out one of your allies, then when they come to, they won't be hypnotized anymore. This is because, quote, the Red Skull did not have time to seal the hypnosis, which seems like it would have been a priority, but I get it. He was probably like, I'll spray all these guys with hypnosis seal tomorrow. Hitler is waiting in the car. I got places to be today. Then, wouldn't you know it, all the heroes get KO'd and the hypnosis is ruined because he didn't fucking spray it. I've ruined leather jackets that way. I get it. You're supposed to spray them, but you don't always spray them. I ran down all of that to bring you to the first sentence of the aftermath section, which immediately follows, quote, eventually the free-willed heroes should overcome their attackers. At this point, the invaders will urge the player characters to turn their attention toward getting everyone out of the maze and resuming the search for the Nazi superweapon. So the aftermath is, anyway, the good guys should win and not die, and then you, the judge, should step in and seize control of one of the player characters, Bucky perhaps, and say, hey fellows, I think that we should reassemble the party and continue the plot. By golly, this is candidate number one for dumbest thing on this page, because we get one sentence about how this is supposed to end. The heroes are just supposed to win. Quote, the free-willed heroes should overcome their attackers. That is not enough. That is, that is not enough. You cannot just say the heroes should win and leave it at that. This, <laughs> the reason perhaps that my frustration here is palpable is because as I sometimes do, I fell into the time-consuming trap of thoroughly simulating the situation presented in the text because Look, it's complicated. There can be many, many different party compositions, right? I've got three teams of original characters plus the default characters of the West Coast Avengers who are then combined with some arbitrary selection of the invaders in a combined team that can have any number of permutations. It is a very complicated situation to think through mathematically what happens when the stronger half of the team is brainwashed and turned against the weaker half of the team. My succinct but thoroughly researched answer is who the fuck knows? No one. No one can know. Because it's too wildly variable. I think the designer is probably imagining a situation like, okay, we got brainwashed Captain America, brainwashed Human Torch, and brainwashed Wonder Man versus Hawkeye, Vision, and Namor. Something like that. You can imagine them pairing off against each other, having a little hero versus hero action in the great Marvel tradition of heroes fighting each other for barely rationalized reasons. And because, as prescribed on the previous page, the brainwashed heroes can't spend karma points, uh, then the heroes should win, because if we're of roughly comparable power levels, then the non-brainwashed heroes can 
spend their karma to give that little extra oomph to their roles. That should at least buy them enough time to talk down the brainwashed heroes, and uh, they should do fine. But that's assuming that this is all even. That's assuming that the power levels here are pretty even across the board. You could easily end up in a scenario like, for example, Wonder Man and Vision versus Bucky and Toro. Neither Bucky nor Toro is doing shit to Vision or Wonder Man. And both Vision and Wonder Man are capable, if they so choose, of inflicting like 100 damage with a single attack. If they win initiative, they could definitely KO, if not straight up murder, Bucky and Toro on the first turn. And there's no provision made for what happens if the brainwashed heroes, who are, remember, the more powerful ones, defeat the less powerful heroes. Because it's not like back at a not-quite-shield HQ in Albuquerque, where you've got all these shield agents just waiting outside, listening at the door to see if the fight's going against the player characters so they can rush in and even the odds. There are no good guys here. It's Hitler's secret bunker. You're surrounded by Nazi guards and no one else. And the brainwashed heroes have orders to, quote, destroy their allies. And if they're not knocked out or talked down, I guess they stay brainwashed indefinitely. So there's just an awful lot writing on the author's assumption that the good guys will pull it out somehow in this encounter, despite the fact that this encounter has basically no effective balancing factor to make sure that happens. So that's like the encounter design dumb thing on this page. All of this has been building up to a big cool set piece, and it is a cool set piece. You know, you got a labyrinth, you got Lugers, you got superheroes desperately trying to convince other superheroes to shake their brainwashing and fight Hitler. What more could you ask for? Survival. <laughs> um, uh, an opportunity to live on and fulfill the godforsaken time loop that sent you here in the first place. But really, there are a lot of ways that this can go wrong. That brings us to the second system issue that this page highlights. And it's partly a system thing, and it's partly the author not properly taking the system into account. Karma. Karma is an interesting idea badly executed in the Marvel superhero system. I'm going to try not to get too dry with this, but Jesus, if you could see this text document that I've got, if you could see all of the dice that I rolled, just give me this. Just please give me this. Um, karma in this game, first of all, serves two purposes. You can spend karma to improve your die rolls and to um, diminish the effectiveness of die rolls against you. But secondly, you also use it as XP. So when we do XP awards in this adventure, for example, that karma is improving your survivability later in the adventure because it's giving you stores of karma that you can use to improve your rolls and save your bacon if somebody gets a lucky hit on you. But if you don't spend it on improving your roles or surviving close calls, then you can spend it later as XP to get more and better powers, etc. This makes it kind of cruel to bleed players of their karma rewards because you're not just taking their bennies away, you're taking their XP away by forcing them to spend XP to survive the scene. Also, karma is very iffy as an encounter design element because you never know how high people are going to be riding on karma at any given time. Characters can accrue a lot of karma through play but they start with wildly different amounts of karma, and spending karma to save your life, if somebody gets a lucky shot on you, costs a lot. It costs 40 flat points of karma to reduce the effectiveness of a roll against you by one color grade. That's a lot of karma. Um, if you've had to do this a couple of times recently, you could come into any given scene riding pretty low on karma. So it's pretty risky for the designer to design an encounter in such a way that it depends upon you blowing a bunch of karma to achieve something that the plot demands you achieve, such as surviving an all-out assault by a killer ghost robot despite the fact that you are but a lad in blue trousers and red underwear outside those trousers. You don't want to create a situation where it's like, well, Bucky will be fine against the killer ghost robot. All he'll have to do is spend, you know... 80 or 120 karma to save his own life until he can talk the ghost robot down. Bucky may not have 80 or 120 karma. 
That's true coming into this scene, and it's especially true going into future scenes because of how the hypno-wash works. To return you momentarily to the previous page, you'll remember that when Red Skull turns on the hypno-wash, it starts trying to brainwash the heroes at good intensity. So you roll your psyche against a good intensity. If you fail, you're brainwashed. If you succeed, you take damage for resisting, and then you move on. Next turn, he does it again at excellent intensity. Now, on any one of these rolls, these psyche rolls that you make to resist being brainwashed, you can announce that you're spending karma to improve your roll. But, and this is another big problem with the karma system, anytime you announce that you're spending karma on a roll, first of all, you're locked into spending as much of your karma as you need to to turn that roll into a success, assuming that it can be turned into a success with the amount of karma you have on hand. Secondly, you're locked into spending 10 karma. Even if you don't need any karma, or even if you don't have enough karma to turn it into a success, you always have to spend 10 if you announce that you're spending any. This is to keep you from spending karma on every roll, because God forbid that your karma points, which are supposed to be used to bail you out when you have unexpectedly bad luck, were used when you have unexpectedly bad luck. You have to announce that you're expecting unexpectedly bad luck and commit to the karma first. So if you think this through, you can see where this brainwashing thing with the hypno-wash is a tremendous karma suck. You really don't want to be brainwashed to serve Hitler. You're going to want to spend karma on these rolls. There are five rounds of brainwashing. Let's say that you manage to successfully resist the brainwashing technique all the way through, and that you roll successes every time. Succeeding costs 50 karma, if you commit to spending karma on every roll, which you probably should. At some point in this process, the odds are going to be against you. You need to be committing to spending karma, or you're going to get brainwashed. Once you commit to spending that karma, you then have to spend as much karma as it takes to succeed, which can drain you even faster, and you might still end up brainwashed. So for example, in one of the simulations I ran, I did uh, West Coast Avengers and Invaders, the default team, the one actually portrayed in the art is the one that I used, and I figured Red Skull's probably going to want to brainwash Human Torch, Wonder Man, and Scarlet Witch. In this simulation that I ran, Scarlet Witch, who starts out with a lot of karma, she starts out with like 60 karma. She finally managed to avoid being brainwashed, but ended up spending every single point of her karma on it. 60 points is a lot to spend, especially considering that in the end, she didn't even escape brainwashing by being strong-willed. She escaped brainwashing through the use of another tactic suggested in the text, but not suggested to the players in box text anywhere, which is that if you can trick Red Skull into thinking that you're under hypnotic control, he'll stop trying to hypno-wash you. I mean, if it were me, maybe I'd keep the hypno-wash running a few more turns. Why not? But obviously that's not the kind of guy that Red Skull is. This is a guy who's ruined a lot of leather products and he's leaving superheroes unsealed left and right. So as soon as you can convince him that you're hypnotized, he stops hypnotizing you. This tactic is the only way in my simulations that anyone avoided being brainwashed. Standing up to the machine is basically impossible. It'll cost you a ton of karma. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can blow a tremendous amount of your XP for this adventure on trying to resist being brainwashed but you're really not going to resist being brainwashed. And God forbid you do resist it and get all the way through the amazing intensity and still not break. All Red Skull does is send you back to the detention center and brainwash somebody else. So now, instead of you and a friend being brainwashed and fighting the group, two of your friends are brainwashed and fighting the group, and they're up against Bucky or whoever, and you, who are going to be short all your karma and a bunch of your health from resisting the brainwash machine. So it's actually a tactical disadvantage for anybody to resist the brainwashing all the way through the process. What does work and what does work well is to convince Red Skull that you're under control when you're not. This is a tactic that the author leaves to the player characters to think of, but no similar tactics are suggested or, or made available 
or mechanized in any way. It's sort of like a one secret hint. It's like a strategy guide tip for surviving this encounter. Because if nobody thinks of faking out Red Skull, this is pretty brutal as a combat encounter, not to mention costly in karma, which is to say XP. As you would expect for a key hidden winning strategy, the mechanics of this are not fully explained. Uh, it's not clear if you get one chance to fool Red Skull or if you can try again every turn that you're being brainwashed. Also, this one weird trick to defeat the Nazi mastermind depends mechanically upon one role. And it's not a role that you make, and it's not a role made against you, which means you can't spend karma on it. It's pure chance, and it is Red Skull making an excellent intensity reason feat, which, first of all, I would think that intuition, not reason, would be the relevant ability here. It's not like he's deducing whether you're faking allegiance to Hitler. He's got to feel you out, so you'd think it would be intuition. But it's not. It's reason. And reason is better for Red Skull, which means he only needs a green result to see right through you. He is likely, but not overwhelmingly likely, to make this roll, and you can't influence it. Uh, he succeeds on a 41 or better on percentile. So 60% chance that you try to fake him out and it doesn't work. Now, if you can try again every turn and he has to make a fresh roll every turn with no bonus for knowing that you were lying before, then this is very likely to work if you have the karma to spend to resist the machine until he happens to roll a one, right? If every character only gets to try to lie to Red Skull once, then this is a much less effective tactic. You still definitely want to do it, though, because it is your best chance to get somebody into that maze unbrainwashed. Because reversing people's brainwashing turns out to be much more difficult than you would think based on the rules presented. For example, the thing where it says you can blast somebody with your psychic powers and then they get a roll against incredible intensity using your power rank to overcome their psychic conditioning. There's a lot of verbiage there, but when you boil it down to the math, the way that it works is you first have to hit them with your power, which is at minus two column shifts, which means you have to have a power of at least excellent power rank to have even a 50-50 shot of affecting them. Keeping in mind that this person may be blasting you for 100 damage each round, you probably don't want to waste turns on a 50-50 shot of allowing them to make a die roll to try to stop shooting you for 100 damage each round. And if you have, let's say, an incredible psychic power, then your odds are pretty good. Any roll 41 or over, you're going to affect them. So even with incredible power, it's only a 60-40 success rate, but it's better, you know? And if you're a psychic here, what else are you doing? So assuming you can affect them with your psychic powers at all, maybe spend some karma, What's a few more points in this fucking flood of XP just gushing in torrents out of the ventilation openings in this fucking maze? Just XP everywhere. People splashing their fucking swashbuckler boots in XP. Anyway, assuming that you spend your precious XP to be able to affect them with your powers at all, then they get to roll your power rank against an incredible intensity. So let's say that you had incredible telepathy that's reduced to an effective excellent telepathy. You have a 60-40 chance of successfully hitting them with your telepathy. Let's say that you succeed. They then get to use your incredible telepathy in a roll against incredible difficulty. That means they need a yellow result, which with incredible power rank means they have a 40% chance to succeed. Overall then, before karma expenditure, this has a 40% chance of a 60% chance to work for an overall success rate of less than one quarter. So good luck with this plan. I'll see you four rounds and 400 points of damage from now. Hope you got a lot of health points in that big old telepathic brain because you're going to need them. Or alternately, if you don't have psychic powers, you could try to simply ask your friend to stop killing you, which allows them to make a psyche roll at remarkable intensity to break free of the conditioning. Because of the weird way that power ranks in the universal table and intensities work in this game, for anybody with a psyche excellent or lower, that gives a pitiful chance of success for them, like 5% at best. And remember, the brainwashed characters can't spend karma, and you can't spend karma on their behalf, so that 5% is what you get. Keep your filthy XP. 
This comes down to a roll of the dice. There's a 5% chance that asking nicely works and your friend stops trying to kill you. On the other hand, if they have remarkable psyche, which many of these characters do, uh, Moon Knight, Scarlet Witch, Vision, Human Torch, Namor, they're a bunch, especially some of the more dangerous ones. They have remarkable psyche. In that scenario, those characters only need a yellow result if you ask them to stop killing you, and they have a 34% chance of success, better than if you had used your psychic powers to get them to stop. So against the really powerful characters who you really don't have time to spend turn after turn trying to break their conditioning, even if you have an incredible rank in a psychic power, it's actually a better tactic just to use your words rather than using your incredible psychic powers. Once again, proving that psychics should cower, like the dogs that they are. The situation that is being set up here is so wonky, so random. This could be anything from kind of a cakewalk where you run around in a maze for a little while and one of you is yelling to the other, hey, stop it. Stop doing what Hitler says. Don't you realize he's Hitler? And then after like three or four rounds of that, the person is like, wait a minute. Hitler is bad. Shit. How did I forget? During World War II of all times, the worst time to forget that Hitler is bad. And then that's it. And then you just like bust out and the adventure goes on. Or this could become truly a threat to end the adventure prematurely as two of the most powerful heroes in the adventure do everything they can to kill two teenagers <laughs> who are their only hope of not being a permanent Nazi slave. So we could have a timeline where Bucky dies, Toro dies, and Vision and Wonder Man become permanent Nazi slaves. So this is a threat to the whole fucking timeline, and the designer doesn't even care. It's one sentence. The, the heroes should win. It should be fine. should be okay. And the best way to avoid this scenario is not, certainly, to use immense psychic powers, if you happen to have them, to unbrainwash your friends. It is also not to give a big speech about love and justice and friendship or whatever and talk your friend down. That's better than psychic powers, but not as good as the best solution, the real solution, the Ray solution, which is guessing that what the author wanted you to do is use your acting skills to convince Red Skull that you're hypnotized, which will cause him to turn off the hypnosis device. So confident is he in his estimate of people's allegiance to Hitler and then let you loose on the battlefield unhypnotized to turn the tide of the battle. This is not an option that's presented in the module, it's just something that Ray Winninger thought of and that you're supposed to guess, as evidenced by the fact that in the Karma Rewards section for this chapter, the third highest reward you can get, higher than talking down one of your brainwashed friends, higher than knocking out one of your brainwashed friends, even if they're much more powerful than you, is successfully lying to Red Skull. That's the hidden secret solution you're supposed to find, and so if you happen upon it, then you get the big glittery gold R stamped on your character, R for Ray. You found the Ray solution, and you get 20 extra XP. And whether or not you think of that tactic totally changes the calculation about whether you should spend your hard-earned karma on resisting the hypno-wash. If you have thought of that solution, then it is absolutely the best use of your resources to resist the hypno-wash as long as you can. If you don't think of that tactic, then XP that you spend to resist the hypno-wash is basically flushed down the hypno-toilet. Like, by all means, spend all your XP. Who fucking cares? It's the hypno-wash. No one resists for long. And if they do, then we throw them battered and broken-minded back into jail and hypno-wash somebody else. Thanks for all your XP, sucker. Get back in jail. I'll hypnotize Hawkeye instead. Maybe he'll give me all his XP too. Who knows? So yeah, I mean, it's it's all over the fucking place. As far as I can tell, there is no way to like systematically model what should or will happen in this encounter. It is wild-ass chance dependent on so many different variables with no contingency plan for what to do if this doesn't turn out the way that the author just summarily says it should. It's going to be fine. Don't even worry about it. It's, I mean, there are a million ways this could work out based on a million complicated factors, but the one I want to happen is that the good guys win. That's probably what's going to happen. Anyway, on to chapter 17. Now, 
we may be tempted to think of this as a lapse. Maybe Ray has been railroading so hard and for so long that he is weary, and he's let his guard down. He just, you know what, sometimes even Homer nods, sometimes even Ray Winninger accidentally permits for multiple outcomes. But it's not that. That's not what happened here. There's an old school design philosophy that if something is a horrible, unfun idea that is going to break the game and cause everybody a lot of grief, what you should do is put it on a random table, but it only happens if you roll a one on a percentile because it's so bad. It's the last thing we would ever want to happen. It will ruin the game. Therefore, the only sensible thing is to say, this happens if you roll a one on D100, right? It took the role-playing hobby an embarrassingly long time to realize what you should probably do is not put it on the table. This is all over old school gaming, right? Like D&D classes that are objectively better than other classes, but you have to roll better stats to get them. So it's like, well, the paladin is always going to be the best player character, but that's okay because you have to roll really lucky stats to choose a paladin. So when the whole group gets together around the table, eating their pizza with the greasy character sheets, because it's the 1980s, everybody rolls their D6s, 3D6 down the line, no re-rolls. It's the 1980s and we have weird ways to prove our masculinity. Whoever happens to roll really good stats and is already better than the rest of the group gets to play a better class than the rest of the group and just be better than everyone else for the whole goddamn campaign. It's okay because this only happens in one out of a hundred or a thousand garages across the country. What if it happens in your garage? Well, fuck your garage. Your D&D game will suck because somebody rolled stats that were too high or too low, right? We saw this all over Palladium games too. Shit that should never be allowed at the table. Just put on random tables like... Probably no one will ever roll this, so who fucking cares? There was a certain delight in old school gaming and an old school design in putting these things into the game because you usually don't roll them. They usually don't happen. So everybody kind of gets to be like, but well, but what if? What if I roll the dice and I get that? What if this shit goes completely off the rails? This is the sort of thing that motivates a designer to say like, in this room, there is concealed a 1 million GP diamond, but it is buried 10 feet beneath a random flagstone, and there's no indication of its presence. So if some group, for some random ass reason, decides to dig 10 feet down in this particular spot, then they win a million GP, and the whole campaign is fucked. And this provides a, a little thrill, a little exhilaration for the GM, as he gets to read this text that no one will ever read or care about other than him, and say, if only they knew. If only they knew that they're standing directly above the million GP gem. Fortunately, there are no clues that that is the case. I know what I'll do. I'll never tell them or anyone that that's in this module. Only I will know that they could have been rich had they dug a hole for no reason. It is in that spirit, I believe, that the author gave us the wild-ass, unpredictable, arbitrarily fucked chapter 16. Because tricking Red Skull is only the third highest karma reward you can win in this scene. Do you want to know what the highest karma reward you can win is in this scene? 150 karma for, quote, capturing Hitler. Mixed signals, Ray. Mixed signals. After all this railroading, after telling me as the GM, whatever you do, don't let them hurt Anthony Holland. Don't let them hurt General Dozer. Don't let them forget this book in the present. Make them take it to the past. Don't let them know what's in the box. Everything has to go exactly to plan. Don't let them do anything. Whatever that says here in the book they do, they do. They can't do anything else. Except <laughs> in this time travel World War II adventure, if they do decide to completely derail the plot, punch out Hitler, tie him up, and then drag him away. And I guess, I don't know, hold him ransom, take him back to dinosaur times. I don't know, whatever the fuck they decide to do with Hitler. Then they get XP. And not just a little XP, but a ton of XP. Congratulations. 
I am the evil dictator of role-playing games, but I am a man of honor. You have escaped my wicked clutches. I award you 150 XP and the captive body of Adolf Hitler. And at this point, I guess you just tear up the adventure and have an impromptu ticker tape parade for your players for all the good the rest of this module is going to do you. Because if they capture Hitler, nothing else here. I mean, even the omniscient Hamilton Crane did not see this coming. If Hitler is captured, the time loop is fucked. The plot is fucked. History is fucked. Everything is fucked across time and space. It's a fuck stravaganza. 150 XP all around. If you manage to capture Hitler, probably what will happen is two of the player characters will be brainwashed into killing two hapless teenagers and will have to call the adventure early on account of hypnotized killer ghost robot. <sighs> I apologize if this episode is a little disjointed. When I read this page, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I think I think I'm probably not the first role player who has had that reaction to this page. God forbid I had been running this module. I guess I probably would have called in sick. I guess I probably would have told the players when I got to this page. Hey guys, I, I must have gotten some bad uh, pizza since that's all we eat in the 1980s. I must have eaten some bad pizza. I don't know when I'll be better. Maybe never. So maybe you guys should just, like start a D&D campaign without me. Anyway, for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to assume that this adventure proceeds in the middle of the bell curve. Neither does this scene end with the murder of two teenage superheroes with visible underpants, nor does it end with a parade through the streets of Albuquerque as our heroes bring Hitler back to the present to stand trial for his crimes. Let's assume that it ends the way that it is supposed to end, according to one bullshit sentence by the author, and the heroes win somehow, but they don't win so much that the plot goes off the rails. Anyway, basically, the good guys win, and they get out of this death trap, and they start walking around the bunker. Join me next time to find out what our heroes conveniently find and what they are inexplicably supposed to do with it on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening.